Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and the season is underway. The Rays take two out of three from the Miami Marlins down in South Florida. And this week, they're heading to Boston for a three-game series against the Red Sox before returning home for the home opening series against the New York Yankees, where they'll get to raise a 2020 American League East Championship banner as well as an AL pennant. Uh, The last time they won the pennant was against, uh, they opened the next season against the Yankees in 2009. Uh, I said this on last week's episode, but also that year the Yankees won the World Series. So let's let's hope that history doesn't repeat itself in that way. Uh, But some quick news before we get uh, into our discussion with two very great guests on this episode. Ryan Sheriff was placed on the restricted list for the Rays. Uh, Really just said he needed some time away from the game. We don't know a whole lot. More than that, we're going to respect his privacy. But after a discussion he had with Kevin Cash, he decided it was best that he kind of step back for a little bit. That was after Saturday or Friday's game, rather. Joseph Odom, uh, his contract was selected. He was added to the 40-man roster for Sunday's game and brought up to the active roster. He was on the taxi squad, so they had him in Miami ready to go. Uh, he is a catcher. Last year caught a little bit with Seattle. I really don't know what his role is going to be. I think I mentioned it on this podcast. He might even be off the roster by the time this that you're listening to this. I don't know what their plan is going to Boston if they'd like to add another pitcher uh, or, or what they want to do with that roster spot. So we'll have to wait and see with that one but like i mentioned just a second ago we have two very great guests on the podcast first you're going to hear from austin ryman he's a contributor to draysbay.com also used to write for racecoloredglasses.com and is the new host of the newest rays podcast rays unrestricted which should be releasing its first episode very soon so you guys should check that out whenever that drops. And then also joined by Matt Collins, the managing editor of OverTheMonster.com. It's the SB Nation community following the Boston Red Sox. So we'll talk to Matt a little bit about just the series and kind of what Rays fans can look for in this Red Sox team. Uh, They were a last place team in 2020. I don't know if they're going to finish at the bottom of the AL East again this year, Uh, but Matt kind of gives a good outlook on on the Red Sox this season. So without further ado, we'll jump into our first conversation with austin ryman and now joining the show the host of the rays unrestricted podcast contributor to draysbay.com it's austin ryman austin what's going on man not much brett how are you doing good you know it's opening weekend there's been baseball all weekend long it's been so much fun flipping back and forth between games and watching the rays win a take two out of three down in miami and that's what we're going to talk a lot about today and then take a look ahead to the series against boston and new york Game one, though, we got to talk about Tyler Glass now. He was unhittable in six innings pitched. Yeah, it was it was really fun to watch. Um, you know, you're going and you're looking forward to a full season of Glass now, as long as he can stay healthy. And then you go and you add that slider. Um, it was just unhittable. Uh, you sit there with 101, and then you drop in an 82-mile-an-hour curveball, and then you mix in a 90-mile-an-hour slider, and it's just not fair to hitters. In my opinion, when you look at him adding a third pitch, whether it would have been that cutter, slider, changeup, whatever he went with, and it, he decided to go primarily with that slider, I really think that takes him from an ace to a Cy Young status. Um, you go from being able to dominate for five innings and then guys try and sort of adjust to a guy who can get through six, seven um, with ease and just really just dominate, which he did on opening day. Yeah, and that's really, you know, akin to like what Blake Snell did in 2018. And I was going back and forth on like whether or not Glass now 
needed that third pitch. I think when he struggled in a couple of his outings in the postseason, not all of his outings, he had some great ones. I was thinking, okay, maybe he's going to need that if he wants to take it to the next level. The slider really working out for him. It did in, in his first start and really exciting. And he was like attacking the strike zone too. The command was great. And on the days where, because he's had days like this before, but on the days where he struggled, it's usually with the command. He's giving away free passes. He went six innings, six strikeouts, no walks, and just one hit allowed. And it was a, a weak hit at that. So, I mean, I don't think you, you could expect anything else from a first start from Tyler Glass now, who other than trying to bounce back and have a full, really great season, he's taking on the, the workload physically and like, I guess you could say like psychologically of being the ace of this staff. You lose Blake Snell, you lose Charlie Morton. Glass now is quote unquote the guy now. And so far he's really stepped up to that. The bullpen, three shutout innings after that. And the offense, wasn't a whole lot of offense in this game from either side, except for Austin Meadows. And Austin, we're going to talk about Meadows' defense in a little bit, <laughs> but how good was it to see him get his, his season started with a home run in the first game? Uh, it was fantastic. I mean, when you go back, he's one of those guys where you look at last year and you see the the slow start after COVID. You can't get going. You can't get going in the playoffs. You really need that fast start for him, especially to get back to that 2019 form. And if he gets back to that 2019 form, um, this lineup looks a lot better than it does even last year. So for him to come out in game one and then game two, followed up with another one, minus the defense in game three, that's exactly what you want to see from him. Um, really promising, not swinging through a lot of pitches. Um, that's exactly what you want to see. Yeah, and, and you could argue that he won the raise. The, but obviously, Joey Wendell came up with a big hit in game two, but that Austin Meadows played such a huge role in winning the game for the raise in game one and game two. I, I guess now, before we get anything else, we can talk about his defense in game three because I don't want to mince my words here. It was it was atrocious. Uh, to, in the same inning, he had a ball that hit the right hit to him in right field. He, he fell over trying to field that one. Then he finally got to the ball the next time it was hit towards him and it just bounced in and out of the glove. I've been saying this for a long time. And Austin Meadows last year, for the last, I said like nine to 12 months, I've been pretty down on my outlook on Austin Meadows as a player. It's not because I don't think he can hit. He obviously can. And I think last year he had a lot of struggles due to COVID and doing it to try to find his rhythm. But for him to be a above average major league baseball player, he's got to play some defense. And if he's going to be a DH, which is fine, he's got to really hit. And I think he can. If he goes back to the numbers from 2019, he could be a major league DH. He's a good enough hitter to do that. But to be a liability like that in the outfield is worrying because the Rays have, I guess you could say five outfielders. I know Yoshi is mostly a first baseman at this point. Right now on the roster, they've got four outfielders and only three of them you're comfortable playing in the field. They've got Brett Phillips on the mend right now. But... Once they get to an American League ballpark, which they're going to do Monday at Boston, the outfield is pretty much set. Arena in left, Kiermaier in center, Margot in right. And I don't think Austin Meadows is going to see much time out there unless they, the Rays have to put him out there. Yeah, and I agree. I think a couple of things play into that. One, I do think he's a DH. And I think you saw it later in the game, too. The ball dropped in front of him. I don't think that he lets that ball drop if he makes those two prior plays. But there is an effect of going from smaller minor league-esque spring training field so then having to pick up a ball with five rows or five sections and i'm not sure if the roof was open or closed but that also yeah, plays yeah. a part in it but he he's not he's not exactly fleet of foot um <laughs> and it definitely played a part in tossing the race the ball game um, pitching wasn't stellar 
balls were hit hard um, all in game three. But those plays do have to be made. I think it, it goes a lot of early season games are, tend to be a little bit ugly on the defensive side. You saw with Brandon Lau making a throw we had no business trying to make. Um, and it's just part of me wants to chalk it up to early season ugly baseball, which we see every single year. But the other part of me also wants to chalk it up to the fact that he really needs to be a DH. If he hits like he did in 2019 and he gives you 300 average and he gets on base and he hits 35 bombs and so be it, be a DH. Um, and the Rays will take that seven days a week. Twice on Sunday. Yeah, and twice on Sunday. The plays have to be made. Um, you're a big league outfielder um, and he's played outfield long enough. But at the same time, you are going from playing in Florida State League stadiums to playing with five five levels and a roof. Um, so just part of that just ugly baseball, I think, as well, which you see early in seasons. Yeah, you know, he's going to have to play in some innings out there. There's going to be injuries. They're going to be more trip to National League ballparks where putting him in the outfield is the only way to get him into the lineup. And who knows? Maybe he works out at first base at some point. Maybe this season, next year, that could be an avenue for him. We'll see. But for now, I think the best place for Austin Meadows is in the lineup, but as the designated hitter. Let's talk a little bit about the Rays' bullpen because in game one, I think you saw it executed perfectly. You went from, uh, you know, Glass now to Fairbanks to Ryan Thompson and then Diego Castillo. Diego Castillo, this is a big year for him. Nick Anderson's hurt for maybe half the season. What are you looking for from Diego Castillo and what did you see out of him in this first weekend? I think when you look at Castillo, especially with Nick Anderson out, I think he's going to be that primary guy that you bring in to close. Um, I think that goes without saying. It's going to be him and Fairbanks. Um, those are the two most overpowering guys. You need three outs. You're going to go to your two most overpowering guys. Um, but when you look at Castillo, and I know a lot of the guys at D-Rays Bay, um, including myself at times, are really, really numbers-oriented. And I tend to be eye-test-oriented. And you even saw with Alvarado, who was traded away, they tended to be guys who, if they were on, they were absolutely unhittable. And if they were off, it was really a mental struggle. So for Castillo to come out and lock down two games early in the season, that's huge. I think just from a standpoint of now he's ready to go. It's not he comes in and he's all over the strike zone. You can't find the strike zone. Um, you saw him be pretty effective in the postseason. So if you can get him at that level consistently, you're going to be looking at a guy who is capable of saving 40 games for you. Um, even when Nick Anderson comes back, if he's locked on that closer role, and I know the race try to shy away from having a closer but it's going to be him and Fairbanks. You're not going to be bringing in Ryan Sheriff to close games. You're not bringing in Ryan Thompson unless you really need a ground ball to close the game out. So to have him get out there and get that fast start is, I think, huge for Castillo, at least on the mental side. Yeah, and you talk about guys that are on. You mentioned Jose Alvarado, who pitched today or the day of recording, Sunday for the Phillies, and had a one 2 3 eighth inning. And when Jose Alvarado is on, like he is one of the best relievers in the game. That's the thing. You either get hot Alvarado or cold Alvarado, and you do not want to mess with cold Alvarado. And I've said it forever. I mean, it, when you have Castillo with his sinker and then you have Alvarado with the fastball that runs a foot off the plate at 101 miles an hour, they have two – those are two guys with the purest stuff in baseball. And it's just a matter of – I'm not sure if the Rays figured they didn't want to play with the cold Alvarado anymore, and it was a matter of is he ever going to get over that hump. Um, but I think you saw the potential – um, with him for a few years with the Rays, and you definitely saw the potential over the weekend with Diego Castillo. 
Yeah, we saw, I think, all of the relievers in the Rays' bullpen pitch this weekend except for Cody Reed, which I found surprising. I thought Cody Reed's bet was an early candidate for me coming out of spring training as a guy that could enter that that A bullpen, like you said, with, with Fairbanks and Castillo. We didn't get to see a whole lot of him last year before he went on the IL. I expect he'll pitch in Boston probably sooner rather than later. I know uh, Cash is going to you know keep wanting to spread the love around when it comes to pitching. Everybody played except for Reed this weekend on this active roster. And I guess Joseph Odom, who was called up just for uh, Saturday's series finale with Ryan Sheriff going on the restricted list. Uh, let's talk about the catching core. So besides Joseph Odom, who we haven't seen yet, I don't know if we will see in a big league game uh, soon. But Francisco Mejia, obviously the new addition. Last year, the Rays catchers, you had Mike Zanino, you had Michael Perez who's with Pittsburgh and Kevin Smith. Francisco Mejia brought over in the Blake Snell trade. I don't want to call him the backup to Mike Zanino because I think there is a chance where they're going to not split time 50-50, but Mejia gets enough playing time to where you wouldn't necessarily call him a backup. We saw him in game two of the series. I thought he looked really comfortable at the plate, switch hitting catcher. The one thing about his game that I'm not sure about and I felt this way on Friday night, too, was his framing ability behind the plate. Do you think that's going to hurt his chances to to get a good amount of innings for the Rays this season? I think the Rays are super defense-oriented. Um, you see it with Mike Zanino. There's a reason Mike Zanino's back after hitting atrociously for the last two years. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not a Mike Zanino fan by any means, um, except for what he does behind the plate, and the Rays obviously value that. Um, he just never really put it together at the plate. I think he saw it. he was lucky enough to connect with a ball and hopefully that gets him off the right on the right foot. But there's I think that they trust Zanino enough to get Mejia to a point where he can be an everyday catcher um, and take over that starting role because the bat's there. Um it's been there since he was in the minors. It's just a matter of him putting it together over 162 games for a big league team. Um, so I think there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to get Mejia to a defensive position to where he can be that everyday guy for the Rays. But it's also that this is not an easy staff to catch. You look at the clockwork and it from, from <laughs> I mean, from 12 to nine, they got guys at every single arm angle. You saw it, all the graphics in the World Series. This is a really brutal pitching staff to come in and try to catch, especially when your back's against the wall as a top prospect who is now fighting for every chance he gets in the major league level. I mean, you go from catching glass note 101 to Thompson who basically scrapes the bottom of the mound to a guy like Sheriff who just has run. And it's a really hard, really hard group to come in and catch. Um, So that's going to be a bit of an adjustment period. And I'm sure the Rays are prepared for that. Definitely. And I'm I'm excited. He's one of the players that we didn't know a whole lot about because even the leagues, the chances he's gotten at the major league level hasn't played like a full season at the big leagues. And this year, as long as he stays healthy, like he'll get a full season. Uh, I don't know how many at-bats he'll get, how many innings he'll get behind the plate, but he'll definitely get his chances, and it's exciting to see what he is going to do. And you look at the first two games, Thursday game, kind of quiet until the Meadows home run. Friday's game was really exciting. Looked like the Rays were going to lose that one. Ryan Sheriff gets brought in. Uh, The bullpen struggles as a whole, but ultimately Joey Wendell uh, steps up big in the ninth inning with a three-run home run that went into the second deck in, in right field in Marlins Park. A uh, huge win. Uh, maybe, a, you know, I'm not going to call it a lucky win. They had to score four runs in the ninth, and they did. Sunday's game, though. This one was not fun to watch. I guess maybe for a neutral. There was, like, good offense. I guess some good pitching. 
some bad defense, some good base running. There was a lot of excitement in this game. Before we get into some of the other stuff that happened, let's talk about Chris Archer. So Rich Hill started this game and pitched the first four innings. Chris Archer comes in and he gets two innings. It was a piggy, it was a planned piggyback, supposed to just be a one-time thing, I think. Maybe we'll see it again at some point. But Chris Archer, the velo was a little down. The slider wasn't as sharp. Would you chalk this up to just this just being his first outing of the year and his first outing behind another, like a first relief outing technically? Or is there something that Ray's going to be worried about? I think a few things play into it. Um, one of them being he hasn't pitched in a major league game since 2019. He hasn't pitched for a, for a competitive team since 2013. Um, and... <laughs> The third is that he comes in as a reliever for the second time in his career. Minus, you can you can take away spring training because spring training games are structured in the sense that he knows when he's going to come in. He does not know in this game when he's going to come in. It could be the second inning if Rich Hill gets, if I mean if Rich Hill gets chased, it could be the fifth inning if Rich Hill deals. Um, so in a spring training game, you can go to the backfield, you can get your long toss in, you can come right through the back of the field, and you can start get on the bullpen like it's a start. Um, in a game like this, you can't long toss. You can long toss before the game starts, and you're going to get cold again. I can tell you from personal experience, <laughs> it's not pleasant. So he's going to go back there. He's going to do his plyos. He's going to throw into a net, and he's going to throw with a catcher. And then he's going to wait on a call, and he's going to go in there. And you saw him sit at 90 to 91. The first pitch was at 89. And I don't think that it's a completely different ball game when you start a game and you have an hour to get ready versus – okay, Rich Hill's starting to fade. Let's go get warm now. Um, and you also don't have as long of a time to get a feel for that slider, um, and which was not as sharp. It was flat, and the ones that were flat were hit. The changeup, he, he had a few good changeups, and he had a few that got hit. Um, the fastball was sitting 90 to 91. Um, I don't think you're going to see Chris Archer at where he was as a rookie at 97. <laughs> um, ever again, but I would expect him to be at 93, 95, especially if that slider still sitting at 89. Um, he broke off a few good sliders, but it's, I think it really is should be chalked up to the fact that it is a completely different atmosphere coming into a game when you don't know you're, when you're going to come in. Um, and I know you talked about it on the last Raise Your Voice, where you were a big proponent of the piggyback situation. It was going to be exciting. And I honestly hope we never see it again, <laughs> unless <laughs> I'm not sure. And maybe you flip Rich Hill and Chris Archer, or maybe if it's a matter of, cause you know, you're not going to get a ton of innings out of either of them. Maybe it's a matter of you alternate their starts uh, and you carry six starters. I'm not sure what the answer is, but I don't think bringing Chris Archer and his reliever is going to be effective as you saw. I'm not sure how effective it is going to be. If you bring in Rich Hill, it, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I don't know if Rich, Phil has relieving experience. He does not a, a ton of bit, it. Yeah. <laughs> if any. Yeah. But not a ton. Um, and it's just, I get the idea of switching looks up and you go from a guy, quote unquote, Thummer, who's going to flip balls over the plate and has that big loopy curveball. And then you go to Chris Archer, who has a sharp slider. And I get the, I get the idea of it. I'm not sure if it's going to be effective over the course of, as I don't see them doing this 30 times. You're not going to get this 30 times out of them, but I, I'm not crazy about it. I'd rather have Archer go out there, and if he can give you four, he can give you four, and then you put it together, or you Archer behind an opener, and then he still has his time, and he only sits for an inning. Uh, but we'll see. I don't think that you're going to see 90-91 and then an 89-mile-an-hour slider the rest of the year. I think that's a little bit unrealistic. I think you're probably going to see the 95, though. 
Yeah, I, I, I had similar thoughts. Chris Archer, after his spring training outing, when, like you said, he knew when he was going into the game, said that he had a really hard time timing when to get warm for that outing. Now you bring it into a regular season game. The Just the atmosphere, again, is just completely, you know, these games matter now. It's just a completely different feel. And he struggled with it. This is supposed to be for these two to quote-unquote piggyback off of each other, a one-time thing. They're supposed to get their own trip through the order the next time around, whether that be as a starter or behind an opener. Uh, and that's to be determined. But for Chris Archer and, and everything you just said, I think it would benefit the Rays and benefit Chris Archer to maybe let him start the next game. Maybe let him get comfortable and, like you said, see what you can get out of him. Because if you're getting four innings of Chris Archer with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and an 89-mile-an-hour hard slider, that's a lot better than what you got last night on Saturday. So for, for Chris Archer, I think for him it's about finding that rhythm again, getting comfortable, pitching for the Rays. And it's going to be a tough task because it looks like his spot in the rotation is going to come up, up again when they play the Yankees uh, at Tropicana Field. And we, we know what their lineup can do. And th that's what makes me worried about Rich Hills next time through the rotation, a soft-throwing left-handed pitcher, 41 years old, facing that lineup. They definitely aren't going to let him go three times through the order, uh, but even him starting that game, maybe that's a situation where you use an opener. And they might even have an extra roster spot if Joseph, o Joseph Odom gets sent down. Maybe they bring up a guy like Chris Mazza to open. Maybe they bring up a guy like, or maybe they use a guy like Pete Fairbanks or another one of these pitchers in their bullpen to open in front of a Rich Hill. I know that changes your your A bullpen look, uh, but there are options. There are plenty of guys at the alternate training site that could be up on by the, on the team by next weekend with with that extra spot on the active roster. Now, going into this series against Boston, the Rays are going to be throwing out. Uh, you've got Michael Walker throwing potentially behind an opener in game one on Monday. Tyler Glass now again on Tuesday. Ryan Yarbrough again on Wednesday. Right now, I'm, I feel really good about this. Boston started off the year 0-3. They lost. They got swept by Baltimore. You get another Tyler Glass now outing, another Ryan Yarbrough outing. We didn't even talk about him. He looked very good too. And we get to see Michael Walker for the first time. And out of guys that had great spring trainings, for the Rays, Michael Walker maybe had the best. What are you looking for from Michael Walker in his first start on Monday? Or first outing on Monday, I should say. I'm not sure if he's going to come in behind an opener. I'm just looking for him to come in and stay, live in the zone. Um, obviously, this is a team that struggled to hit against the Orioles pitching. Um, I don't see this as a it, – it, they're not a very talented Red Sox team. They're in the middle of the road, um, but they're not going to compete in this division yet. They're in the middle of a – of a raise rebuild, if you would, with Bloom now at the head. Um, so I'd like to see Walker live in the zone, get through four or five innings. I know he's built up a little bit in spring training. Um, and best case scenario, the Rays go into the Yankees series with a well-rested bullpen. So, I mean, hopefully Walker can eat some innings. Um, he's a guy that I would look forward to really lock down that fifth spot in the rotation, that fourth spot in the rotation, someone that you can really plug in after – a glass now, a Yarborough. Hopefully one day it'll be Archer. But like I said, you're not going to get a ton of innings out of Archer this year. Um, so you're really going to be looking at Michael Walker and hoping that he can be that third, fourth guy for you when you mix in a Fleming or McClanahan at some point as well. 
Um, so just get off to the, get off on the right foot, like we talked about with Castillo and Meadows. Um, it's early. Um, just get off on the right foot. Now, before we get into talking about talking a little bit more about the Rays depth, because I know you've got something to say there. Uh, this this week, three against Boston, off day on uh, on, to, on Sunday, the day of recording, three against Boston, off day on Thursday, three against New York. How many wins are you looking for the Rays to get in this week? If you're a, a realistic goal, the Red Sox are going to have to win at some point. I'd rather not be against us, but um, you got to take two out of three from the Red Sox after they got swept by the Orioles. And if you're going to want if you want to win the division, you got to take two out of three from the Yankees, and it starts this weekend or this week. Um, and it's so you got to look for you got to look to go four and two against those two guys. Um, and and that's a good starting point. You never you never want to go two and four. So you you got to at least go three and three. I'm hoping for four wins. Five would be nice. Um, I don't see them going six in a row against Boston and New York. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to run into Garrett Cole yet. Um, without G-Man Choi, <laughs> Garrett Cole is going to be tough to hit. So we will see. I'm going to look for four out of six, though, and just keep winning series. That's the goal right now. Yeah, I, I think four out of six is, is what I'm looking for as well. If you go three and three, though, you had the two out of three in Miami. You built yourself. I, get, I know it's very early in the season. We're already talking about win totals, but you're starting to build wiggle room when you go on the road into a National League ballpark and win a series. That's huge. These wins mean just as much now as they do in, in, in September. So big wins. I don't I think they're going to avoid Garrett Cole. I think it'll be Kluber, Herman, and Montgomery, but who knows how New York's going to do it because they have an off day on Thursday. Maybe they go ahead and pitch Cole on Sunday. Who knows? Now, Austin, I want to give you a chance to to, to raise your voice a little bit. I know you read this the, the, this piece done by Peter Gammons in the Rays' depth and just give you a chance to talk about uh, your feelings and your thoughts on, on how the Rays are constructed in 2021. Peter Gammons wrote an article about what is what he considers to be this two-season um, approach that teams have to take this year and that in that two season approach, there'll be nobody better in baseball than the Rays. And that two season approach revolves around the fact that we played 60 games last year. Nobody's going to throw 200 innings this year. There's not going to be some workhorse guy. I mean, you what you want a workhorse for the Rays. You're going to hope that Tyler Glass now can give you 140 to 150. 200 is an impossible ask right now for Tyler Glass. Now it's an impossible ask for Ryan Yarborough. Um, so you're going to look for 140 to 150 pitches from both of those guys. And then you look at the Rays, who just, um, like Adam Barry said, he just threw the the Rays threw depth at the wall, and they're going to see what sticks. So you got you sign guys like Colin McHugh, and Rich Hill, and Chris Archer, and I mean, Chris Archer hasn't pitched in a game since 2019. So let's hope and pray that we get 80 healthy innings out of him. Rich Hill, let's look for 80 innings out of him. Michael Walker, let's hope for 100, and that still doesn't get you to what you need. And so you have this first season of guys that you expect to produce a certain number of innings. And then you have the second season of guys or teams across the league are going to have to rely on their young depth. And that's going to include for the Rays, McClanahan and Joe Ryan, and hopefully at some point, Brent Honeywell. Um, and just guys like that and Fleming. And you're going to have to rely on them to provide you a second season worth of pitching, which you wouldn't have to do in any other circumstance. Uh, if this was, if we played a full season last year and Archer was healthy and Rich Hill played a full year and Michael Walker was healthy and pitched a full season, then you're looking at these guys pitching 150 to 200 innings a year. And 
McClanahan probably ends up in the bullpen for a little bit and gets some experience and makes a spot start here and there as he progresses. And you look at Joe Ryan, he'd probably fit into the bullpen at some point, but you're going to need a second season out of these guys. And like Peter Gammon said, there's nobody better in baseball right now positioned to have a two season approach in the race. They're just stacked. Um, so I think what you're going to see with that piggyback and like we talked about, uh, you're going to hope to get 80 innings out of each of them. Um, and hopefully if you can get their 80 best innings and you're set, and if you can't, and if they aren't healthy or they aren't quality innings, because like we said, Archer hasn't pitched in two years and he hasn't pitched in a competitive atmosphere and longer than that, sorry, pirates fans, but he hasn't pitched in truly <laughs> meaningful games in quite a long time. And even for the Rays for a little bit, it, they weren't truly meaningful games. There was times where when he was with the Rays where we struggled. Um, so he really hasn't pitched in a true meaningful game really since 2013. And here we are. You're going to hope for the best, uh, and the Rays are going to pre also prepare for the worst. And that's why they threw depth at the wall. That's why they have a huge bank of guys in the minors who hopefully can step into big roles this year, and they're going to be big roles. You're going to have guys like Shane McClanahan, who pitched in the World Series. He's going to have to come in and make starts this year. He's going to have to eat Indians this year. He's going to have to make quality appearances against really good teams, Blue Jays, the Yankees. Um, the Red Sox is still going to play good baseball. They're not a bad baseball team. Um, they just don't have as much talent as they do in years past. So it's really going to be reliant on this two-season approach, and I think the Rays are going to do it really, really well. I've been saying the same thing. You know, last year they won the division by seven games in a 60-game season. I, I, that was incredibly impressive. I think the Rays are going to be up there again this year. They, they've got the depth to do it because – and, and we say this, now it's become a theme. The Rays are perfectly built for the 60-game season. Now they're perfectly built for the season that's going back to a full 162. It goes without saying, the Rays are just a good team. They're well built for a number of different things, including pitching depth, especially pitching depth. So a lot of projection models, a lot of predictions from national writers had the Rays missing the postseason. Some even had them finishing fourth in the division below Boston, which is completely insane if you ask me uh but they're gonna be right up there you know they, they got off to a good start this week this is a big week for them uh, you go you finish the road trip in boston you open up the weekend against the yankees you get to hang a banner uh, which is which is always fun you get to hang a couple of banners the division title the american league title it's going to be a fun week of Rays baseball coming up and it just feels really great to have baseball back on the tv in the stands there's fans in the stands that was another really big thing we could talk about that really quickly the games just sound different. I know there was some fake crowd noise last year, and I don't know if stadiums are still pumping stuff in this year, but the feeling of the game on TV, and I'm hoping to get to a game soon, that it just feels different, and, and the games feel like they mean more because there were some games last year that just didn't really feel real. And Austin, I don't, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed that as well. No, I agree. And I don't think the Marlins were pumping in crowd noise or you would not have been able to hear the constant trumpeting in the background. <laughs> um, but no, they do. They do feel different. I mean, you saw I mean, I was watching the Rockies game and it was like they were nearly sold out. And it's just a completely different feel on opening day. You saw it in Wrigley, even in Miami when there is limited capacity. Um, it just feels different there. You could hear Rays fans there. You could hear Marlins fans there. It just felt like baseball was back. Um, I think the 60 game season, in a sense, felt super surreal and it just went it sort of was blur like i don't have a ton of memories from the 60 game season until the playoffs i don't have any like standout performances minus like brandon Lau who went off for a bit 
but it was just a blur. It was kind of, it was really eerie, um, just strange and it's, and it feels normal again. Um, and that's just really fun to see. Yeah, definitely. Well, Austin, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. And when you're about to drop episodes soon for Ray's unrestricted podcast. So make sure to go check that out. But Austin, once again, just thank you, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. And now joining the show, the managing editor from OverTheMonster.com, the SB Nation site covering the Boston Red Sox. It's Matt Collins. Matt, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. All things considering, considering what the Red Sox just did this weekend, but yeah, not doing too bad. <laughs> yeah, opening weekend, uh, you know, it's so exciting. You know, you wait the, the whole offseason for it, and then it can go south in a hurry, and it did for the Very Red Sox this yes. weekend. But first off, like, why don't you just talk a little bit about what you do over at Over the Monster and what you guys are all about? Yeah, so I mean, uh, like you said, we're the we cover the Red Sox at SB Nation. Uh, we cover basically everything majors, minors. We do written stuff. We do the podcasts. Uh, we have a podcast pretty much every day, Monday through Friday. Yeah, so I mean, you just go to overthemonster.com. You can see all that good stuff. Yeah, and especially you know, race fans, if you're looking for maybe another perspective on on this week's series or what the opposing fans are thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely a good good place to go check it out don't take well, the comments too personally though <laughs> same thing for any red sox fans that mosey on over to d rays bay uh, i know it can get pretty rowdy in there on, on both sites um matt the i think the story for non-red sox fans and maybe for red sox fans too the overarching story for the red sox this year is alex Cora's back after being fired you know a year ago he was going to be you know suspended and what is the the overall are there mixed feelings like around Alex Cora and the fact that he was brought back to the Red Sox after everything that happened? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting there. I definitely have mixed feelings. Um, I did not want them to bring him back um, because of the sign stealing stuff. And it just, it didn't feel right to me, but um, I'm in the minority there. I think the majority of people are psyched about it. And I'll say this, I, I do think he's a great manager and I think just on, in terms of managing shops, he's absolutely the best guy for the job. So I totally understand why people are excited, uh, but there were mixed feelings. And I mean, I definitely wasn't the only one, but I was definitely on the more negative side of it. At, you know, at the same time though, you go, you, you, once you start, if the Red Sox, you know, become competitive again, this year it was a rough 2020, you know, you start to relive those 2018 feelings and I'm sure that might sway the emotions a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, I said it at the time of the hiring that while I was not, Super excited about it. As if if they start winning, as soon as they start winning, I'm I'm right back in. I mean, that's just the way things go. You can't you can't control so much. So I mean, if you're gonna, you got to allow yourself to be happy if things are going well, no matter the circumstances. And with that being said, 2020 was rough. You're coming off an off season in which you trade Mookie Betts and David Price. You have a new GM, Hein Bloom, who Rays fans are very familiar with. And you finished last in the AL East. And, and don't get me wrong, like the Red Sox have had tons of success throughout the 21st century, four World Series titles, but they also have kind of had this like roller coaster ride through the standings year to year where they'll win the division, they'll win a World Series, and they'll finish, la- finish last place either the year after that or the next year. With all that taken into consideration and what the Red Sox are going through, and you could call it a rebuild, but a lot of the core from 2018 is still there. You've still got J.D. Martinez. You've still got you know Xander Bogart, Rafael Devers. Chris Sale will be back eventually. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is hopefully going to be pitching again soon. But after the last place finish in 2020, what is the the 
if the fan base could set their expectations, like it's not, is it, it's not postseason or bust for Boston this year, is it? Uh, I mean, there's always going to be fans like that. I don't know that um, the people that those, that's the casual fan expectation, I would think. Um, but I think the people that call it, follow it more closely are basically, I don't know that there's an exact win total, um, but really just being competitive. I mean, last season just wasn't competitive at all from the get-go. They were one of the worst teams of baseball. So I think um, as long as they're not in that position, um, they're finishing somewhere within shouting distance of 500. I think uh, people look at it positively, especially if some of the younger guys take a step forward. Um, So playoffs would be great. I don't think it's totally out of the question, but I don't think that's the expectation at all. Talking about some of the moves that Bloom has started to make. Obviously, I think a lot of fans, just from what I've seen on the internet, might still hold some negative feelings towards Heim Bloom because he got the job and then all of a sudden Mookie Betts is traded. Like, what? Like, I feel like he walked into that. But since then, what are your thoughts on, on the moves he's made and specifically this offseason bringing in Kike Hernandez, Hunter Renfro, some, some of these guys that have brought in that aren't going to be necessarily game changers for the Red Sox, but start putting things back in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been fine. Um, I think it's way too early to judge bloom um i'm with you i think honestly most people are with you that he's not really the guy to look at at the moogie trade i think most of that is pointed at the owners um but i mean i think he hasn't really had a chance to do anything too big yet um there were a couple of guys that i would have liked to see them target you darvish i think was the bigger one um but again i think that still comes down to ownership and what they're willing to spend so um i think like i like kike hernandez i like hunter renfro but these are like fringe moves that aren't going to make or break the roster. So I think with the approach that Bloom and the whole organization is taking right now, you kind of need to wait three years or so and then see when they're ready to strike. That's when I'll really be ready to start judging them. Yeah, and, and not to toot, you know, the Rays horn, but Hunter Renfro is a guy that couldn't even stick on the Rays roster after 2020. Those are the types of guys that the Red Sox are bringing in now. And with that being said, like the Red Sox still, with such a talented roster, Xander Bogart, Shady Martinez, just to name a few. I know Martinez is coming off a bit of a, a rough 2020. But you're starting to see, I think, the Red Sox, and they were maybe void of this for a good chunk of the last decade, some names that are coming up out of their farm system that are going to contribute at the major league level. And the one that made the opening day roster is Bobby Dalbeck. He's the starting first baseman for the Red Sox. What are your thoughts on him and what he can contribute to this team? in 2021 yeah so he's probably like the biggest wild card for the whole lineup i mean he is just the epitome of modern baseball three uh three true outcomes just he'll strike out 35 percent, but he can hit 35 bombs and walk like 12 percent of the time so i mean it's really just about where that strikeout rate is if he can keep that strikeout rate at 30 percent maximum i think he's going to be a really solid contributor but i mean he last year obviously small sample he only played for the last month of the year but he was at like 42 percent or something like that that's obviously untenable so um it's all about how much contact he's going to make and are there any other prospects that you think could come up this year obviously the Rays and red sox are going to have six series throughout the season <laughs> so are there any other names that could end up on the roster playing a role by later in the season that the Rays, Rays fans might keep an eye out for? Yeah, so I think the guy that Red Sox fans are most excited about, and I'm definitely most excited about, I've been kind of leading the charge on this guy for a few years, is uh, Jaron Duran. Um, he's made a lot of noise since last summer. He's well, he's probably the fastest guy in the system, um, 75, 80 speed, and he changed his swing about a year ago, so now he's starting to hit for more power. 
Um, pretty raw in the outfield. He's an infielder, so he's still learning to play the outfield a little bit, but he should be up, I'm guessing, around Memorial Day, maybe early June. Um, and he's a guy that, that he's just been gaining so much helium. It's not out of the question that he's playing center field and hitting uh, near the top of the lineup by August and the end of the year. What about a guy like Jeter Downs? Is, is his timetable sometime in 2021 or maybe next year? Downs is an interesting one. I don't think he made the best impression at the alternate site last year, but at the same time, he's one of the two best prospects in the system. Um, it's sort of hard to judge any minor league timeline right now. I mean, we just, they didn't play last year, so I don't know. He played a little bit at double A in 2019. I would think if he plays well in the first half at triple A, we'll see him in the second half, especially if the Red Sox are out of contention, which they probably will be. Um, so yeah, I think we will see him at some point, maybe a little bit after Duran. And now, you know, I know you had a, a rough weekend of baseball viewing. You had opening day postponed due to rain and then a, a three-game sweep against the Baltimore Orioles. And we're not here to try to draw conclusions from three-game <laughs> series because if the Rays win two out of three like they did last year throughout the whole year, that would be pretty great. But what do you think went wrong for the Red Sox this weekend against Baltimore? They just came out flat, uh, first of all. I mean, the first two games of the series, they the pitching was actually pretty good, which was obviously the big question for them this year. But the offense was dead and the defense was terrible. So I think they came out a little bit flat-footed. And then as the games went on and it kept going on, it seemed pretty clear that they were pressing, especially at the plate. And they were really starting to feel the pressure, especially with fans back. And the Red Sox fans are pretty quick to boo. Um, and they definitely heard some boo birds this weekend. So I think it was just pressure. I think they really just need like a five-run inning or something like that. And then they'll be back to normal. But it's just right now they aren't seeing the success. And it's the longer that goes, the harder it is to snap out of it. Yeah, for, for, for us, it took a Joey Wendell go-ahead home run in the ninth inning. And that kind of sparked things for the offense. They were pretty slow going uh, up until then. Uh, let's take a look at, at more specifically this this series upcoming between the Rays. It's going to be in Fenway Park. It's going to be a three-game set. First pitcher going to go for the Red Sox is Nick Pavetta, who they acquired in a trade uh, last year. I know if you look on the surface, his numbers haven't always been great. The ERA at the major league level hasn't dipped below four in a single season, but it's a high strikeout guy. If he can keep the walks down, I don't know. I look at Pavetta like a guy who's maybe one year away from a breakout campaign. Could this be the, that year for Pavetta? It definitely could be. Um, I'm always more on the skeptical side of any of these guys. I think there's a lot of guys that are one season away from this kind of breakout, and more often than not, that season never comes. That being said, I mean, like you said, the stuff is there. The control isn't great, but the, to me, the control isn't really the problem. It's really – he's just really predictable. Um he throws a lot of fastballs and I mean, this is major league baseball guys are going to hit fastballs. So um, it's really just about keeping the ball in the yard for him. If he's not giving up home runs, he's probably going to be pitching pretty well, but he needs to, he needs to find confidence early in the game and his secondaries or else he's just going to get rocked. And then what about Martin Perez? He was brought in last year. He did okay. Four or five ERA over 62 innings pitched, but he was one of the, I guess you could call a staple in the Red Sox rotation for last season. Were you shocked that they brought him back and, and what role will he play in this year's rotation? Uh, definitely not shocked they brought him back. Uh, like He was the most reliable pitcher on the staff last year, which definitely says more about the staff than him. But um, <laughs> And he's a guy, everybody loves him. Everybody in the team loves him. The fan loves him. So I definitely wasn't surprised. But he is he was totally miscast last year at the top of the rotation. If he can 
stay if they can keep him in a fourth or fifth spot in the rotation i think he's that's money for him i mean he can be like a league average type of pitcher he doesn't strike he doesn't strike guys out but he since he added a cutter back into the mix a couple of years ago he's just been inducing so much weak contact that i mean sometimes you're going to get bitten by the babbit but babbit bug and you'll get that era up there but for the most part as long he's a solid fifth starter for sure I, I love those those types of pitchers. The the I don't I don't like to just put them in the category of like crafty lefties because they're they're more than that. And and Perez is has definitely been one of those guys. Let's talk a little bit about Nate Evaldi, someone who Rays fans are are familiar with because he spent a good amount of time with the organization. He only ended up making uh, ten starts before we shipped him to Boston. But right now, while Rodriguez is still on the mend, he's you know he dealt with COVID issues last year, and this year I believe he's dealing with with another injury. Chris Sale will be back eventually, maybe in twenty twenty one. I really don't know what his timetable's like, but for now, at least Evaldi's going to have to lead this rotation. From what you've seen out of him, is that is that a type of workload that that he can handle being a front end rotation guy? Well, I think. Well, first of all, I don't think he's going to. Rodriguez should be back, I believe. They're hoping by like next weekend, so hopefully Evaldi won't have to lead. Yeah, he just had a little bit of dead air coming out of camp, so it wasn't anything too bad. But I do think Evaldi is underrated, um, kind of significantly. I mean, obviously the injury history is there, and there's a good chance he's going to miss some time this year. But when he's on the mound, I think he's much better than he gets credit for. Um, and it really goes back to when he was with the Rays and he brought that cutter back. Um, he hadn't thrown it for a few years. And once he brought that cutter back, um, he got a lot more swings on those pitches out of the zone, stopped walking guys. And I mean, he's not an ace. He's not going to be like a top 30 pitcher in baseball, but I think he's above average and, and he was great in the first start this year. So um, like I said, I'm expecting him to miss time, but whenever he's on the mound, I think he can be a good number two, number three guy. Yeah, I've, I love Divaldi. You know, the short time he he pitched, he was with the organization for a year and a half, but was recovering yeah. from a Tommy John surgery for a lot of that. But when he pitched, I, I really liked watching it. And then the year that he finally was healthy, at that point in the year, we were, uh, I guess you could call us sellers. We ended up trading for Tommy Pham like a few weeks later. So not not really sellers. They ended up winning 90 games that year. Uh, also, the Red Sox won the World Series with Dave Divaldi. <laughs> so, um and that brings me kind of like to, to this 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 last talking point. So when I think I'll speak for Rays fans here, I think going into series against the Red Sox, we focus about okay, how are our pitchers going to manage getting through the meat of that order? You've got JD Martinez, Rafa Devers, and Xander Bogarts. Now Alex Verdugo in the mix, Kike Hernandez, Hunter Renfro, who we know has major pop. But is there a guy that maybe isn't a starter or is a guy out of the bullpen that? Rays fans might not be expecting to contribute in a big way that if he gets the opportunity in this series could could really show out. Yeah, so I think um, in the bullpen, Garrett Whitlock has been getting a lot of helium. Um, he pitched today and he pitched a few innings, so he probably won't pitch on Monday. He might not be available to Wednesday, so you might only see him once. But I mean, he was a Rule 5 guy from the Yankees. Uh, coming off Tommy John and he is his stuff has just blown everybody away uh, since the spring he's throwing 95 um, and he's a really good multi-inning reliever who if a pitcher gets in trouble early he can kind of slow things down and hopefully give the ch- the offense a chance to get back in it so I would say out of the bullpen um, he's probably the guy that I think would surprise people the most so today would have been his his big league debut am I right yeah yeah first first appearance today 
And he did pretty well after everybody else got rocked. He did pretty well. <laughs> is, is he a guy that you mentioned he's a multi-inning guy? Do, do they view him as a starter eventually and they're just getting him work in the bullpen? Or what, what's kind of the long-term outlook for Whitlock? Yeah, I definitely think they want him to start. I wouldn't be surprised if he's making spot starts um, by the middle of the season. Uh, but like I said, he was, he's coming off Tommy John. Um, he's a Rule 5 guy, so obviously they can't send him down to go get starts in AAA. So I think they're going to let him work out of the bullpen and kind of ease his way into Major League action. But I mean, if he keeps pitching well, they don't, they're not really going to have an option other than to put him in the rotation, especially if that's where they see him long term. So um, I would say by August, he'll probably be a fixture in the rotation. That's that's high praise, and yeah, I've, I've seen some of it. I looked at some of his minor league numbers and looked like a real young talent. Well, Matt, I mean, it was a rough weekend, three game sweep <laughs> against uh, the Orioles for you guys, and for me, that makes me really nervous going into this series. Boston staying at home, we're traveling. The Rays on an off day on the day of recording. That's Sunday, and they'll they'll be up in Boston. I'm, I'm guessing they're there already, ready to play tomorrow. How do you think this series is going to play out? Do you have a prediction for us? I mean, I see the Rays taking two of three. Um, I think the Red Sox can win the first one, but Glasnow is, I mean, I'm just never going to pick against Glasnow, especially he's going against <laughs> Martin Perez. And I think Ryan Yarbrough is pitching the third game. Yeah, um, I've always been a big Yarbrough guy, and the Red Sox never hit lefties like him. Um, so that that's a t- another tough matchup. So I'm, I'm looking at the Red Sox as a two out of three <laughs> would be my pick. Yeah, I'm I'm almost thinking the flip. I might I could see the Red Sox pulling off one if the bats go cold for the Rays one night. You know, it could be against a guy like Martin Perez, and you end up you know yeah. losing. We end, we could end up losing a low scoring game, and then I could see us pulling off the other two. I, it's it's just one of those where like the the Red Sox baseball evens itself out, and even if the Red Sox aren't great this year, coming off a three game sweep against the Orioles, it feels like the the offense might be ready to to burst out for. For Boston, so I'm a little worried, and then because we've got the Yankees right after that, but it should be a fun series. Uh, the Fenway Park, if I'm being honest, has kind of been trop north for the last couple of years. The, the Rays have had fun up there in Boston, so hopefully, I guess for Rays fans, a little bit more of that. But Matt, thank you so much for coming on. And Rays and Red Sox are going to see a lot of each other, so going to have to have you back on uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Man. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening, and big thanks to Austin Ryman and Matt Collins for hopping on today's show. As always, guys, don't forget to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great Rays coverage. And if you like what we're doing here on the DRays Bay Podcast Network, rating and reviewing our podcast feed is the best way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans. If you haven't yet checked out the D-Rays Bay podcast special, we did four episodes leading up to opening day. Eric Neander, Adam Barry, Neil Solons, Brian Anderson. I highly recommend checking them out. If you're still getting into this season, if you missed some of the opening weekend, it's a great primer for the 2021 season. Go check them out. Uh, the Hit Show has some episodes coming out very soon. And Who's On Worst, our newest podcast where Ashley McLennan and Darby Robinson review some uh, bad baseball movies and it's a ton of fun some of these movies maybe from your childhood or maybe you saw them 20 30 years ago and you really liked them and maybe now they haven't held up quite as well as you thought they have go listen to our reviews it's a ton of fun all right guys i'll talk to you next week